Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Good to be with you today. Uh, It is week number three in our series that's entitled Firm Foundation. The goal of this series and the series coming behind it is that we would create a collection of teaching that can be foundational for our congregation. So it's uh, places you can return to uh, for information. Last week we talked about the word and why the word is reliable. The week before we talked about prayer. Today we're going to talk about worship. Next week we'll talk about witness. And then we're going to shift the series a bit, um, but it's going to stay in the same vein. There's going to be really good teaching for uh, for you, our congregation. We just wanted to create a body, a collection of teachings that were foundational for you, so we're excited. Today, I'm going to talk about worship, and so let me start with a very simple definition of worship, and um, I, I just want to go on record when we start talking about any of these things, but especially worship. There's a lot of things that we won't talk about today, because worship is a huge topic just like the Bible is a huge topic or prayer. And so we're going to talk about specific things today, but starting with the definition I think is helpful. And that is this, worship is enjoying God and glorifying him forever. Can you remember that? It's pretty simple. Enjoying God. When we come to church together and we worship together, we're enjoying God. We're, we're blessing his name. We're glorifying him. And, and the forever phrase is an important part of it. Because worship is one of those things that outlives life. Amen? Yeah? We'll talk a little bit more about that. But let me give you a few just rapid thoughts on worship. Worship has many expressions. Right? Even just physical expressions. Clapping, singing, shouting, dancing, bowing, raising hands, and all kinds of instruments are, are, uh, are identified in the Bible as ways to express worship. The earth itself actually worships. Romans in the first chapter teaches that all creation actually testifies about God. Uh, the psalmist wrote, the trees of the field clap their hands. I'm not quite sure how that happens, and that might really freak me out if I saw it, but I get the concept. It is, uh, it is creation that praises God, and the, and, and the Word always invites us as humans, as people, come, let's worship the Lord. So the creation itself worships, earth worships. Life, as a New Testament believer, life is a call to worship. When your alarm clock goes off in the morning, it's a call to worship. Sure, when you arrive at church, it's a call to worship. When you're in your car, it's a call to worship. Life is a call to worship. You're being invited in to worship. Life is about worship. And that's why it teaches in the New Testament that all that you do, whatever it is, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because it's worship. Life is a call to worship. And as mentioned before, worship is enjoying God and glorifying him forever. Worship is eternal. It, went, it started before us, friends, and it will go on after us. Amen? Worship is eternal. Worship is happening in heaven. The creatures around the throne are singing holy, holy, holy right now, this very moment. And when life in, ends, worship goes on, and we actually become better. We become released from all the things that hold us back, from even more of the worship of God. It's wonderful. And one thing that's very important to remember 
is that God has specific ways that he wants to be worshipped. That's important. In fact, Jesus said it this way. John 4, 23. This is our foundational verse for today. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. You see, God is after certain kinds of worshipers, and he is specific about the way that he wants to be worshipped. True worshipers, that means that there must be false worshipers out there. If Jesus is saying these are true worshipers, you know, the thing I know about God is that he is not seeking public speakers or charismatic personalities or leaders. He's not seeking gifted administrators. He's not seeking the best looking, the ones with the best style, the ones with the brightest personalities. He's not seeking worshipers and worship leaders that have the most Instagram followers. He's after true worship. Amen? True worship. And here's one thing I know is that the human body is an adoration apparatus. <laughs> Did you know that you were actually designed to worship? That you will always worship? You will naturally worship? It just happens. Worship flows out of your life. The truth of it is, is not either you're a worshiper or not a worshiper, but what is it that you worship? Because you are an adoration apparatus. It happens. You're designed for it. You might say, no, 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 not me. I'm not into worship. Well, let me help you define where your worship goes because it goes somewhere. I'll ask you three questions. The first one is, what do you always have money for? Even when there's no money left, what do you have money for? That may be an indicator of where your worship is going. Here's another question. What are you doing when you lose track of time? Like, oh, I do, my goodness, look what time it is. I can't believe it. It's, all, it's already so late. It might be an indicator of where worship is going. Or what about this? What are the things that you really worry about? Those are indicators, potentially, of where your worship is directed. I want to give you a couple of images of worship. Here they are. Sports, celebrities, concerts, musicians. I want you to see this. I want you to see it. Look at that picture in the middle there, hey? Those are some happy Greeks right there, I think. Are those Greeks? Is that right? Hey? Hey? Uruguay? Uruguay. Did I hear it over here? Uruguay? Yeah, Uruguay. They're pretty happy, aren't they? Look at those hats. I mean, look at these fans. I wonder how much money they paid to get that close to Bieber. Hey? And look at it. I mean, people are just like, please just scribble on my page. Whatever you do, I just, I'll never, ever let it leave my side. You see, the reason why I show you this picture, because I was talking about being an adoration apparatus, it naturally happens. The point is, what you see behind me, that's really good worship. I mean, that's passion, that's heart, that's enthusiasm, that's investment. The problem is, it's a bad God. It's great worship, but it's a bad God. And the truth is, as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, is it a bad God? No, 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 it's a good God. But the question is, is it good worship? 
we can be guilty of the opposite, where we might see people who are worshiping, you know, good worship to a bad God. We can be guilty of bad worship to a good God. And so that's why we're talking about this today. You know, we had 20 minutes of, of singing, uh, music, and encouragement toward worship. And the question remains, did I engage? Did I express devotion? Or did I watch the band sing? I mean, I think the question here for us to wrestle with is, is what is it that I'm adoring with my apparatus? You see, God's heart for us is that we would all become passionate worshipers of Jesus in spirit and in truth. You know, I want you to hear this call to worship, this call to passionate worship that comes from Psalm 100. This is the whole of the psalm. It's five verses long, and it says this. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generation. And God's people said... Amen. That's passionate worship, shouting, singing, worship, gladness, joyful song, uh, thanksgiving, praise. I see it here. It's wonderful. It's with heart. It's with passion. I want to give you three thoughts on worship. And again, as I mentioned before, it would be impossible to be exhaustive with this topic. And so let me give you three thoughts. They're not even three points. They're just three thoughts that I think help create a foundation for us when it comes to how we view worship. Because as I said, there's many expressions. It can be musical. It doesn't have to be musical. I think sometimes in the church we've said worship is music. Although as we see evidenced in the scripture, there are postures that only present themselves in worship, in, in song, in clapping, and singing, right? So, so there is evidence of this. But I want to talk about just three thoughts on worship. The first one is this, True worshipers worship with awe. Ah, Jesus said that the Father is looking for true worshipers. They worship with awe. I want to take you to Hebrews, which was, um, it's a New Testament writing, but it's written to the Jew. It's written to the Hebrew. And, and so it has a whole lot of Old Testament context in it. But this piece right here helps us understand the idea of awe, of of, of really the fear of the Lord. Listen to this verse from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, in other words, you've received Christ and, and his eternal kingdom, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. We've been talking about this idea of true worshipers. There must be false worship. God wants to be worshiped in a specific way. Let us, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. There's our word. And, and listen to the little caveat following. It says, for our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. Do you feel the power of that? You sense what's happening in this verse? Let's be reverent. Let's be filled with awe when we consider worship. Why? Because our God is holy. He's a consuming fire. Do you feel the power of that? He loves us, but he's holy. 
so holy that the creatures around the throne never stop saying it. It is said in eternity, for eternity. I want you to consider this. The creatures around the throne, they have six wings. They have eyes all over them. With two, they cover their body. They cover their faces, and with two, they fly. And the eyes all over means they never stop seeing God. Their eyes are always fixed on the Lord, and they sing over and over again, holy, holy is the Lord. Why? Because he is. Because he is. And it goes on and on and on in eternity, forever. So listen, we know our New Testament context. Jesus has made a way. We have access to the Father. We worship freely. But understand this. Be bold in your approach to the throne of grace, as the scripture teaches us. But please, never let your worship be absent of reverence and awe. True worshipers worship him in awe. You know, the Old Testament is actually all about worship basically beginning to end. There's a lot of good stories in it, but the context is worship. How we worship, how not to worship, um, getting it right, getting it wrong. There's whole books on getting it wrong. (laughs) The whole thing is about worship. And so all the New Testament writers use the Old Testament as a guide for worship. They teach out of the Old Testament. And it's important for us to recognize that there are some things we leave behind in the Old Testament, in our New Testament context, but there's much that we carry on. In fact, Daniel Block, the great theologian, said this, unless the New Testament expressly states that an Old Testament worship form is obsolete, it still continues. And so what is it that's obsolete? Well, we know, you know, animal sacrifice is obsolete. Why? Because Jesus died once for all to take away our sins, the Lamb of God slain, hallelujah. We know that the going to the priest is now obsolete. Why? Because we have been made uh, priests unto our God and Jesus is our high priest. Uh, we know go, going to the temple in Jerusalem in order to access the presence of God is obsolete because the Bible says that the presence of God doesn't dwell in temples made of stone, but in the hearts of men, and that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so there are things that must be left behind and only being seen figuratively as it's pulled into the New Testament, we see the whole picture, but there's so much that remains. There's so much about Old Testament worship that we can learn from. And and so I want to take you to Deuteronomy 10 for just a moment and look at two verses, verses 12 and 13, because in this I really see an Old Testament definition of worship that carries on right into our our current times. So I want to read this to you. God is speaking to his people and he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Even in God's definition of worship, he includes your good. This is for your good. And so what are we seeing here? We're seeing God saying, listen, fear me. In other words, we've been talking about awe and reverence. It's the word yare here, this word fear. And it means to view as superior, 
to view with reverence. Yare, that's what, that's what fearing God means. That's what the awe of God looks like. God, you are in heaven. I am on earth. I am humbled before you. You're, I, I, I give you the honor and the glory. And he also, it also says here to walk in obedience, walk in his ways. And, and that makes me think of my lifestyle and my behaviors and my attitudes and my actions. He says, love me. And that, of course, means get your heart involved. This isn't cold, dead religion. My heart is engaged because I love God. And God says, serve me. And that means bring your offering. Bring the offering of your life and of your time and of your talents and of your treasure. Bring that to me. That's the way you serve me and observe my commands. In other words, I have a plan for life. Follow it. This is worship, friends. And the New Testament um, offered clarity on what this means for us. Because it's in the New Testament that we understand the concept of whole life worship. That everything about your life is called to be worship. It's all worship. And so you see that picture of whole life worship here. You see it. This is, this is about the expectation. And I want, to know, I want you to know that we work with an expectation here on a Sunday. And the expectation is, is that you, through your whole life, have been worshiping all week long. You've been worshiping all week long, and then you come here, and we get to be together. And so understand this. Sunday is not a worship celebration. Sunday is a celebration of worshipers who have been worshiping all week long. Amen? And we come here, and we just celebrate that. We celebrate that good thing. You see, the Jewish rabbis would use these two verses to teach about what they would call the five verbs of worship. And so that's fear and walk and love and serve and observe. And with that is a hand raised to God. That is the picture of worship from the Old Testament. And so that's why the invitation, Psalm 95, 6, come, let's bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Come, let's do it. Let's lift the five fingers of worship. Let's lift our lives to him, our whole life. Come, let us worship and bow down. The wise men came and bowed before the Lord. Baby Jesus in the manger you know, the, we, we've been having a lot of fun getting to know some of uh, our Persian community in Victoria. Um, it's wonderful to see what God is doing in the nation of Iran, but then also with those who come to Canada, Persian people. And, and we're seeing people come to Christ. We're seeing people get baptized. Uh, there's a community that's growing there, a faith community, and we're so thankful for it. But one of the guys is just, he's really bold. He's really outspoken. He's fearless. He's amazing. And he says to me, you know what I tell my Persian brothers and sisters? I tell them, hey, listen, we were the first ones to worship Jesus. Because these guys, you know, the wise men came from Persia, right? And he's like, see, we were the first. We worshiped Jesus first. It says Simon Peter, you know, he fell down at his knees before Jesus. The Bible teaches that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen? True worshipers worship with that sense of awe. Second thought I want to give you is this. True worshipers worship with abandon. Abandon. 
You know, I think uh, the picture of David is so vivid, you know, how he danced before the Lord. The Bible says um, in, in like um, uh, 2 Samuel 6 is the storyline, but basically David was so excited. He was so joyful, so exuberant, uh, exuberant because of the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was actually coming into the city and he was going to be there in Jerusalem in the place that he had prepared for it. And he was so happy. The Bible says that he danced before the Lord. It says in 2 Samuel 6, 14, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. All his might. Everything he had. It was abandoned. He was worshiping. And, and you know, I'm not going to demonstrate that because I would certainly pull a muscle. But like I can see it. Can't you see it? The dancing, the leaping, the joy, the clapping, the, the shouts. He was so joy-filled. He was so happy. He was so just overwhelmed with the, the joy of the Lord. The Bible says that he wore a linen ephod which was a priestly garment. It's like, the, it's like the equivalent of wearing your stretchy pants. You know, he was like, he was just like ready to give it. I wish somebody could like come and dance, but I don't really have time for that today. But I mean, he was just ready to go. And the Bible says that Mikkel, which was his wife, looked down and saw him. I don't know if she's looking from the palace or something, but she saw him. And the Bible says this, and she despised him in her heart. She was like, he looks like an idiot. He looks like a fool. He's, what he's doing seems shameful. She criticized him. And then, and then when he came in, he, you know, she was like, oh, King David, you were in fine form today, half naked in front of all the servant girls. Man, she was like not having it. And, and David responds to her in 2 Samuel 6, 21 and 22 and says, it says David retorted to Michal. So there was a little bit of, a little bit of venom here, a little bit of, he says, I was dancing before the Lord. And then in verse 22, he says, yes, and I, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. And the chapter closes with something quite interesting. A key statement. It says that Mikkel was barren for her whole life. And what is it that we learn from in this picture? I think uh, that we should be warned to understand this. That when you despise true worship, it leads you into barrenness. So be very careful. Be careful with what you express as opinion versus what may be someone's true worship before the Lord. When you despise true worship, it leads you into barrenness. I don't want that in my life. Worship is heart and it's also hands, meaning Jesus, you can have it all. Take it all. Take my whole life. To worship with abandon is not this determination to look foolish. That's not the point, is it? That was not the determination. Worshiping with a, a, an abandon means that I am determined to be led by the Spirit of God. I am determined to be open. I am determined to be surrendered, just like David was. You see, the best worship leader is God himself. So let him lead you. Why would God himself be the best worship leader? Because he knows what he likes, right? And he outlines it for us. He tells us what he likes because this is the spirit part of spirit and truth. You know, if I said to my lovely wife, if I said, Lisa, baby, 
She's feeling nervous now. Her eyebrow, eyebrows went up. She gave me that look that, baby, I love you in my heart, like so deep in my heart. She might say, thank you, but can you show that to me? She told me before that would mean a chai latte and a foot massage. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I'm not really into foot massages, not really into chai lattes. What I like is I like fishing. So I choose to express my love to you by inviting you to come fishing with me. <laughs> you, you get the point, eh? She might be saying, well, who is it that you're actually loving? Is it me or is it you? And I want you to think about that for just a moment. All human relationships are, are strengthened and developed on learning to love the person the way that they need to be loved. That's how they're strengthened and developed. And God is a person, not an impersonal force. He wants to be loved in specific ways. And so the key question here, is it possible that we've been looking at our worship through our preferences rather than through the guidance of the Holy Spirit? Are we loving him as he wants to be loved? Or has worship become about us? It's quiet in here, <laughs> but it's a good question. We ponder, we reflect. Third thought I'll give you about worship is this. True worshipers worship with authenticity. And, and I hope that's relieving to some of you that are feeling like Andy is for sure going to make us do a Jericho march at the end of service. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not. <laughs> Although that would be awesome. Uh, true worshipers worship with authenticity. This is where the truth part of spirit and truth comes in, right? Authenticity is truth. This, um, the, the Greek word here is aletheia. And aletheia is an interesting word because it's not positive, where like truth is positive. The Greek is actually negative. To say aletheia means I am the opposite of false. I am the opposite of fictitious. So it's to say I'm not that. And that's not really the point. Truth is not the absence of something. It's the fullness of something. And so truth for us means veracity. It means reality. It means sincerity. It means integrity. Worshiping in truth is to worship authentically. And isn't that what the psalmist teaches us? You desire truth in the inward parts. It's with truth that I worship. And that's why Jesus quotes Isaiah talking about the hypocrites around him and says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They weren't authentic. Their worship is a farce, Jesus said. Authenticity is truth, but authenticity with God is also intimate. He doesn't want to just play around. He's not interested in distance. He's certainly not interested in flattering words. He wants closeness. He desires intimacy with you, friend. He wants your heart to be close to him. I think about David again, who's been such a good example for us today, a man after God's own heart. And here's how he expresses this idea in Psalm 27. He says, one thing I ask, this only do I seek. 
there's just one thing I want, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. What's David saying here? I just want to be near to you, God. I just want to be close. I just want to see you. Hear me say it, God, I choose to pursue you. You're what I want. You're who I want. It's the one thing I seek. No pretense, nothing false, just honest, just transparent. And, and truly, Lord, it's vulnerable. I want to gaze on your beauty. I want to seek you. I want to dwell with you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. And we, we usually do that at the end of the service. But I, I want you to see this as an opportunity to worship. I want, I want you to see this as an opportunity to express your worship to God. I want you to see it as a moment in time where we get to kind of have a do-over. Maybe you were feeling a little sleepy when you came in. <laughs> Maybe you just, you just barely got here, but you've been here a while now. And listen, I, I hope this teaching has been encouraging and inspirational, but I also hope that it propels us to a place where we see worship as more than what we saw it as when we came in the room here that it has to be with awe. It must reflect abandon. It's, it's designed to be authentic. And intimacy actually becomes the prize. I know him and he knows me. And so I wanna invite you into that again. I want to ask you to stand to your feet and the, the band is gonna lead us again, but as you do, I just, I want you to, the words will come up behind me on the screen. I want you to say this prayer with me, this verse as a prayer. It's from Psalm 141, verse two, and it's this, accept my prayer as incense offered to you. Just, can you see it? Just smoke rising into the presence of God. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. Lord, accept this. Accept what I have to give today. You know why the upraised hands are, are so special? <laughs> it's because it, it's universal, actually. When you put your hands up, it means one of two things. It either means victory or surrender doesn't matter where you are. It means one of those two things. We win or we give up. But here's the thing about being a Christian. When you lift your hands, it means both. It means both. I've surrendered and I'm victorious because I've surrendered to the one who wins. Hallelujah. Let's worship him together. Let's give him praise. Come on, Luke, lead us and let's sing to our God. 